congregation. With that, um, uh, would you please join your hearts with mine as I uh, pray to the Lord for light. O Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And the title of this message this morning is Trading Places. As we continue through the parables, we have one more next week, and then we'll enter into our Holy Week service. And uh, after uh, Easter, I'll be getting a new series. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony." Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, so that I, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A priest and a lawyer get into a lethal car accident together and they show up at the pearly gates. And St. Peter greets them and is reading off their qualifications for getting into heaven. And he starts with the priest. He says to the priest, you've lived your entire life for God. You've never sworn or taken his name in vain. You've never lied, cheated, nor stolen You've prayed every day, changed many lives through your sermons and actions. The list goes on for quite a while. And finally, St. Peter finishes up and says to the priest, Go forth and enjoy heaven. You will be staying in a shack just down the road. And the priest, a little surprised by his accommodations, but not one to question God, goes humbly on his way. But as he's walking away, St. Peter turns to the lawyer and he exclaims, Oh my, it's you! Everybody, it's him! It's him! 
And the priest watches as hundreds of angels rush to the lawyer's side, hoist them up on their shoulders and kind of crowd surf them around heaven all the way to an elegant mansion at the end of the road. They're laughing, they're cheering, they're celebrating all the while. And after all that pomp and circumstance comes to an end, the priest can't help it but come back to St. Peter and ask him this, what was that? I've lived my life for God, done everything the Bible asks, prayed every day, and the more and more I do it every single day, and all I get is this lousy shack down the road, and and this guy, this lawyer, he gets a beautiful mansion and a parade. What gives? And St. Peter looks at the priest knowingly and says, well, we get priests here all the time, but we've never gotten a lawyer before. It's one of the great things about being a lawyer than a pastor. I got all, I'm in all the jokes. I'm in, I'm in everyone. Now, why am I telling you that joke? Because it's funny. No, <laughs> there's a purpose in it. It's a pearly gates joke, right? How many of those jokes have you heard in your life? The pearly jokes. Two people die. They go to heaven, right? There's that St. Peter, the pearly gates, all that stuff. It's a trope, right? It's a, it's a common form of joke in our culture, Well, it was also quite common in the time of Jesus in first century Palestine. Ken Bailey points this out in his cultural study, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. There were pearly gates stories in Jesus' day, and they were used to teach a lesson, to teach a lesson to the living. So when Jesus tells this story, it was a common type of story to be heard, just as much as those jokes are today. They were told... As stories intended to teach the living a lesson. And we encounter one of those Pearly Gates stories here in our text this morning, in the story in our text. Our focus this morning is on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And as we've done throughout this series, we'll first look at the parable itself, grasp the characters and the stories. We'll ask a few questions. We'll ponder that parable a bit. And then finally, And thirdly, we'll get to the point of the parable, what this parable is about, what Jesus is trying to teach us through this particular pearly gate story this morning. So let's start with the parable itself. Let's start with the characters. And there are three characters in this parable this morning. Of course, there is the rich man. What do we know about him? He's rich. He has really nice Clothes, right? He's got nice threads. He's a well-dressed man, as Easy Top would say. It talks about him wearing purple and fine linens. Maybe he was even royalty. He was also a foodie. He feasted sumptuously every day. I mean, this is the kind of guy you'd want to be friends with. He's my kind of guy. Things are going well. Nice threads, nice foods, nice life. The other character in the story, of course, is Lazarus. Interestingly, he is the only named person in a parable. Of all the parables, only one time do we have a character in the parable receive a name, and here it is in Lazarus. What do we know about him? Well, he's kind of a downer, isn't he? He's kind of a a drag. He's poor. He's covered in sores, like ulcers, you know, oozing type of ulcers. 
He's always loitering there at the rich man's gate every day looking for a handout. He's basically a beggar. Dogs would come by and lick his source. I mean, who would want to be around this guy? As you know, in, in ancient Judaism, the worst animal was a pig, but the kind of second worst was a dog. This guy was being licked by dogs. I don't think I'd want anything to do with him. Would you? So we've got a rich man, we've got Lazarus, then we've got Abraham in this account as well, Father Abraham. And what role does he play? He plays this kind of arbiter, this uh, mediator, this judge in the afterlife, the one who's able to bridge the great chasm between where these two people are, where the rich man and Lazarus end up. He plays that role. And the basic story that plays out among these characters is very simple. You can grasp it. It's kind of like that 1983 film from which I got the title to my sermon, a somewhat problematic film these days, uh, but Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. And in that film, the basic story, as Wikipedia tells me, the film told the story of an upper-class commodities broker and a poor hustler who exchange roles, right? They trade places. One was really wealthy, one was poor on the streets, and they, they flip-flop, they trade places. And that's kind of what happens in our story. We have the rich man and Lazarus, you know, occupying different stations of life here on this side of heaven. One rich, one poor. And then after they both die, they trade places, and Lazarus goes off to a pretty nice place, Abraham's bosom, we might call it the good place, and then, of course, the rich man goes to, you know, H-E double hockey sticks, right? He goes to this place called Hades, this place of torment and fire. They trade places. And it's clear that things are not going well for Abraham, right? He's not, or sorry, with, with the rich man, he's not in a good place. He's in this hot place, this place of torment. And while he's there in the story, after they've switched these places, the rich man who's in torment asks Abraham for help. He pleads for mercy. Actually, he kind of pleads through Abraham to Lazarus. He wants Lazarus to help him. What does he want? He wants Lazarus to dip his finger into cold water and to put it on his tongue. He wants a handout, if you will, literally and figuratively. And of course, what does Abraham tell the guy? It ain't happening. No takesy-backsies, right? You can't, you can't change this thing now. This chasm cannot be breached. Your situation is unalterable. And upon hearing that, the rich guy becomes concerned about his brothers, his household, right? He talks about his five brothers, and he's worried about them. And so he doesn't want them to end up like himself. And he tells Abraham, well, at least have Lazarus go, have someone go and tell my brothers so they don't end up this way. But then Abraham tells him this. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And that's how the story ends. That's our parable in a nutshell. Trading places, a pearly gates story. 
So let's do some pondering. Let's think of a few questions that this parable raises. And I have just three of them I want to deal with briefly this morning. The first question it brings to mind is, is this a parable at all? And my short answer is, yes, it is. Some have argued that this is an historical account, that these are real events involving real people. Part of that is because Lazarus is named in the parable, and people argue that it should not be treated as a parable at all. But almost every modern scholar agrees that it is a parable. Luke treats it among other parables in his gospel. And my buddy Klein Snodgrass says that this is without a doubt a parable. So yes, I think it is a parable. A second question that comes to mind is, what does this parable teach us about heaven and hell? What does it teach us about heaven and hell? Some look at this parable and they draw from it very sophisticated and detailed doctrines about heaven and hell, about the nature of them. They use it to formulate systematic theology on heaven and hell. So what does this parable teach us about heaven and hell? My answer is very little. It teaches very little about those things. It would be almost like using my lawyer joke to teach about heaven and hell, right? It's, this is a pearly gates story. It's a parable with a purpose, and its purpose is not to give us systematic theology about the nature of heaven and hell. It's not really telling us about that. But having said that, there are things that I think we can draw about the fact that there is an afterlife, I think we can draw from this parable that what we do now in this life does matter to that future life. So while I don't think we should draw particular things about a lot of, there's a lot of metaphor, a lot of symbolism here, I think we should at least draw that much from this parable. And a third question that comes to mind is, is being rich a sin? Is being rich a sin or was being rich this man's sin? Is this how he got his one-way ticket to Hades because he was rich? Is that the problem here in this parable? Is that the rich man's sin? And many have argued that very point, particularly those who would want to give this parable a socialist or Marxist bent. They would argue that this is a zero-sum game, that Lazarus is poor because the rich man is rich, and that needs to be fixed in every element of society. They use this kind of as a class struggle parable, but that really wasn't the rich man's sin. His sin is not that he is rich. His sin is a much more common sin, one that can be shared by everyone. It may be more prevalent in the rich and powerful, but it does not get us off the hook. Being rich is not his sin, and it did not earn him the one-way ticket to Hades. And so that brings up the issue, well, what did? Why is this man in Hades? That's a very important question. And that gets us to the point of the parable, the most important thing for us to draw. What is the point of the parable and what does it mean for us today? Well, I think the point of this parable is that God wants us and expects us to help those who are suffering. To help those less fortunate than ourselves, particularly those sitting at our gate. This parable is about our obligations as Christians to help those in need, to help the poor, 
That was what the rich man's sin was. His sin was not being rich, but rather it was being unwilling to help Lazarus. Robert Sirico puts it this way, the rich man's real error is not that he actively harmed Lazarus, but that he never helped him. Did you hear that? His sin was not that he actively harmed Lazarus. He didn't go around and knock him about, right? He didn't poke him with a stick or something like that. He didn't give him the sores that he had. His error, his sin was that he never helped him. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. You see, in first century Palestine, there were no food stamps. There was no government welfare support system. There was no disability insurance. Your only hope, if you were poor and sick, is that maybe someone in your community would bring you to the gate of someone with resources and that that person would see you and out of the abundance that they had, they might share some of what they had with you. And so this guy, Lazarus, was taken to the gate of this rich man, put there so that day by day the rich man would walk by this person and hopefully feel compassion and offer him help. And he did not do that. He just walked by. Perhaps he did that with disdain in his eyes, right? We don't know. Perhaps he did it with ever, without ever making eye contact, just ignoring him. Reminds me of that Bruce Hornsby song, The Way It Is. Standing in line, making time, waiting for the welfare dime because they can't buy a job. The man in the silk suit hurries by and he catches the poor old lady's eye and just for, son, for fun, he says, get a job. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Yeah, was this rich guy like the guy in the silk suit just walking by, this guy at his gate every day? Get a job, Lazarus. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. In the story, even the dogs help Lazarus. That's why they're there. Remember hyperbole, remember exaggeration, remember punch. Here is this scene with the dog, right? I've already told you, next to the pig, the dog was the second worst animal. But here are the dogs licking his sores. And we know in the first century particularly, we know even this day, that there's a medicinal effect to dogs and their saliva and with wounds. And this is how sometimes wounds were treated at times. And so the dogs were showing attention. They were helping Lazarus by licking his sores. But the rich man didn't even do what dogs did. He just walked by and did nothing. As Sirico says, the rich man's real error is not that he actively harmed Lazarus, but that he never helped him. And it was that rich man's omission, that omission, that earned him the one-way ticket to Hades. Think about that. I thought a lot about that this week as I did this parable, as I was working on it, and frankly, it terrified me. It should terrify you. Think about it. Earlier I mentioned that this parable really doesn't teach us anything about heaven and hell, about the doctrine of heaven and hell. It should not be taken as a literal description of the afterlife. It speaks symbolically. It speaks through metaphor. But that doesn't make it any less terrifying. 
In fact, it might make it more terrifying. We know that there's judgment here. And if this is metaphorical and symbolic, perhaps it's even more terrifying. R.C. Sproul, when he commented on this parable, spoke about that whole symbolic nature of the parable. But then he adds this, he says, But remember, if it's symbolic, it's symbolic because the reality is too awful for words. It's not better than this, it's worse. Whatever hell is, it will be so bad that the people in hell will pray for fire and brimstone as a relief. What he's saying is, but you know, it's not going to be better than this. It's worse. The parable depicts the rich man in this place of torment, and what got him there was not something he did, but something he did not do, something he failed to do. What got him there was not harming Lazarus, it was not helping Lazarus. That scares me. How about you? It should scare you. Why do you think the rich man didn't help him? Why do you think? We know he was rich. We know he had lots of food, sumptuous meals. He had fine thread. We know he had the reason. Why didn't he do it? Well, I can't know for sure. The parable doesn't tell me, but we can speculate on that. Maybe he was just a selfish jerk, right? That could be an answer. Maybe he was a misanthrope. But the truth is, we are not told about his motives. It would be really nice if we were. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to solve this conundrum, this problem of this parable, the terrifying nature of it, by being able to paint this rich man with some kind of detestable behavior? That he was a really bad person. It would make it a lot easier so that we could kind of distance ourselves from it. Well, I'm not like that guy. I wish it was there. I wish there was something we could say, look how terrible this person is, and thank God I am not like other men and women. But we're not told that. He just didn't see him. He just didn't help him. I mean, maybe he was just busy. We all get busy, right? He didn't have time to do it. He was busy with his business or whatever he was doing. Maybe he had compassion fatigue. You ever get compassion fatigue? Ken Bailey talks about that in his commentary on this, that perhaps that's what happened. Maybe this rich guy was just sick and tired of people asking him for money day after day, seeing that guy at his gate day after day. You know, sometimes you feel that way. Everybody's asking you for money. And maybe he just got tired. Compassion fatigue. Maybe he simply didn't want to get involved. He wasn't sure what to do. You ever been approached by someone, you know, you're downtown or someplace, and someone approaches you and they ask you for money? And you kind of like, you're, you're startled by it. You're not used to it, particularly if you live in the suburbs or wherever, right? It happens to you. Or you pull up on Monroe Avenue, right? You're getting off at the exit, and there's someone there with a sign and a can, and they come to the window of your car, and it kind of throws you off, right? Particularly if you're not used to that. And sometimes you find yourself, I mean, I'll speak for myself, like you don't want to make eye contact, right? You go through that whole rationalization process in your mind while giving money to somebody is really not a good idea because they're going to buy drugs or whatever you think about in your mind, right? And a lot of that is actually true. 
But there's a lot of reasons why we don't do things for others. And maybe that's all he did. He just did nothing, like I often do. That's why this scares me. Because as far as I can tell, based on the Word of God, based on what I'm given in this text, the reason this guy ends up in torment is because he failed to help a poor person, not one 1,000 miles away, but one at his gate, sitting right in front of his house, one sitting there day after day that he refused to see. And when the guy gets to Hades, do you notice what he does? He's like, you know, uh, can you send someone back to my brothers so they don't end up here? And, you know, and then Abraham says, well, they've been told by Moses and the prophets and all this stuff. That, you know, even if someone rises from the dead. It's almost like the guy still is blaming God. Like, you didn't tell me enough, God. I'm here because I didn't hear it enough. It's your fault I'm here. If just somebody had come and told me, and Abraham says, no, God's been telling you forever. You just don't listen. That scares me. Because God has been telling me forever. He's been telling the church forever, but we just don't listen. Are you listening? To Moses and the prophets. How about the one who came back from the dead? Isn't that interesting that he says that? That even if one comes back from the dead, they won't listen to him. Well, we've had one like that for 2,000 years, and what has he been telling us? And now are we listening to him? That's why this scares me. And it should scare you. Now, here's the part in the sermon where you want me to tell you, here's the three ways to avoid going to hell, right? This is where you want me to, I don't want to end up like this guy, and I don't want to end up like this guy, and you shouldn't want to either. But I can't give you that. I don't know. I don't know what this text means in a 21st century context. We have food stamps, right? We have a government social welfare system. We have a plethora of charities that help people. People are not sitting at the end of your driveway asking you out of your resources to help them. The context is different. And I'd like to tell you that that gets you off the hook. You pay your taxes, you give to your church. But I can't believe it does. Can you? Jesus never makes it that easy to say, oh, what do I want to worry about that? We have welfare. I think God wants us to see and help those in need. And this parable doesn't tell us exactly how to do that. But maybe we should be giving that some thought. In the church, we talk a lot about sex and morality. We're kind of obsessed with that at present. We talk a lot about doctrine and faithfulness. We talk a lot about sin and holiness of God. And we should. God cares about all of those things. But this parable reminds us of something else God cares about. Why don't we ever get obsessed as a church with these things? Why isn't this our obsession? Understanding what God requires us from us from this. Because the consequences of this parable, the consequences of this sin, are grave and serious indeed. Perhaps our denomination should take five years and think about this. 
obsess ourselves with this. I noted before that Lazarus is the only named person in a parable. Do you know what his name means? The one whom God helps. The one whom God helps. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's purposeful. It's part of the point of the parable. The point of the parable is it's telling us who God is, what He is like, His nature. God is the one who helps. Who helps the helpless, who helps the poor, who helps those in need. And the parable is calling us to have a heart like God, to have compassion like God, to think with the mind of God, to do what God does. The one whom God helps. God wants us to help those whom He helps. I'll close with this quote from Klein Snodgrass. He says this, We dare not have a gospel with an evangelistic emphasis and no concern for the poor. Any gospel that is not good news to the poor is not the gospel of Jesus. One came back from the dead. The one who brought good news to the poor. And he wants us, the church, to embody that, to be good news to the poor. That's what this parable is about, this pearly gates story. It's a warning. It's meant to be shocking. It's meant to be a bit over the top. Because it's about the consequences of failing to help those whom God helps. May we heed the warning. And may we endeavor as a church and as a people to be like our God, the one who helps the helpless. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us for the things we have not done, the things that we have left undone. Forgive me, Lord, and help each and every one of us, oh God, to see with the eyes of Christ and to be more like you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join in a hymn of response with me in 833? There is a Redeemer. Would you rise as we sing together to our God? <laughs>